0: Late one September evening in 1991, a disastrous fire destroyed the largest machine on Earth. It wasn't a space shuttle or a submarine or any other military vehicle. It was an engine of commerce, a giant coal stripping shovel located at the vast Captain Mine Complex near Cutler, Illinois. Produced by the Marion Power Shovel Company, The 6360, also known as the Captain, was a masterpiece of American engineering. It was taller than the Statue of Liberty and weighed nearly 30 million pounds and was powered by engines with a combined 40,000 horsepower. Construction of the Captain cost $25 million in 1965 which was also the cost to build Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas that same year. It was the centerpiece of a mining operation that employed thousands and drove the southern Illinois economy for over a quarter century. The fire that destroyed the 6360 lives vividly in the minds of the miners who witnessed it. This podcast brings you those firsthand accounts. I'm Will Stevens, and this is The Captain's Final Hours.
1: Oh, I can remember about everything, I think.
0: That's the voice of Gene Miller. Gene Miller was the operator of the Marion 6360 on the night that it burned. September the 9th,
1: 1991. I had worked there about a year before the fire. I wonder what they're like in September of 90. I used to work over at AMAX at the Leahy Mine, and then I went to Captain as a mechanic, and then I worked as a mechanic for about six months, and then that's when I went on the shovel.
0: Do you uh, think back at the time running that shovel is like a special time in your life?
2: Yes, yes.
0: And for you, why was that special?
2: Just because it
1: was, you know, something that very few people in the world had the chance to run something that was that massive.
0: Just how big was the 6360? Here's how Ron Gates, a one-time operator and oiler on the 6360, described it.
1: It was 22 stories tall, weighed 33 million pounds. The bucket weighed 300 tons and would pick up 300
2: tons.
0: Fred Krager, another operator of the captain, had this to say.
2: This machine could sit on the 50-yard line, of a football field, lift 20-volt wagons at one end, and sling around and dump them into the opposite end.
0: Steve Carter, the retired operator of Nighthawk Coal, was working in the corporate office for Arch Mineral during the 1980s and 1990s. We interviewed him about the 6360 as well.
1: I think my first memory was uh, going in the pit. and I want to say that... Uh, the pit was almost two miles long, and it was uh, the uh, biggest uh, shovel ever built. Dozers and semi tractor trailers were uh, able to drive underneath it, and it just uh, and and you looked at the crawlers on it, and they were just massive, and it was beyond any uh, anything you could imagine.
0: My father, Joe Stevens, who had been a groundman on the captain, had this to say.
2: Pictures of it cannot possibly do it justice. When you pulled up on that thing, it was colossal. It was as big as any building in a big city except for the fact that it moved. It was really, really something. I don't think they'll ever see the likes of it again.
0: The 6360 was 215 feet tall, taller than the Statue of Liberty. It carried 20 2,000 horsepower motors and the average electrical demand of the 6360 was 9.45 megawatts. That is equal to the average electrical demand of a city of 25 to 30,000 people. But the machine could produce enough potential energy to meet the demand of a city of 8 million. Once again, Joe Stevens.
2: It was the pride of of everybody, quite honestly. The Union and company men. Pride of the we're no pride of Captain Mine. Ain't no doubt about that.
0: The year before the Marion 6360 burned had been a banner year for Captain Mine. In 1990, Captain Mine had produced over 5 million tons of coal at a price of approximately $28 a ton. That equals $140 million in 1991 dollars, which would be 304 million dollars in 2022 money. The men who were assigned to work this machine served in a critical role for both Captain Mine and the UMWA Local 1392. One of the central figures in the events of September the 9th, 1991 was one of the operators of the Captain Fred Krager. What were you doing when you first started?
2: Well, when I first started, I went to work on the 5761 strip and shovel, which the 6360 replaced later on.
0: So from the very beginning, you are working on this big strip and shovel that was at Captain, whichever one it was?
2: Yes. I was on it when the first bucket was taken out, and I took the last bucket out with it.
0: Another man central to the story of the day the captain burned is Gene Miller. He was the full-time operator of the captain on that day.
1: I used to work over at AMAX at the Leahy Mine, and then I went to captain as a mechanic. And then I worked as a mechanic for about six months, and then that's when I went on the shovel.
0: Were you intimidated by the aspect or idea of running that great big shovel?
1: Not really, because I'd run the shovel over at Leahy, but... I guess to answer your question yes, because after running the shovel at, at Leahy, which was a hundred yard machine, the the shovel at captain was a whole lot bigger and would just do things that 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 the shovel I run
0: at Leahy wouldn't do. Also on the captain that day was Gary Andrews, who as we'll find out later in this episode was in a life and death situation as the fire on the captain raged
2: uh i came down to southern illinois in 80 and i started working as a welder on the 6 360 yes anyway i uh, we we all got along uh gene miller was the operator frank Greger and jerry sternberg we we're all very compatible we got along and uh uh, well, and so when you're working seven days a week, you better, you know, <laughs> makes the job, job a lot better. I can't, I can't answer definitively how long I was on there before the fire.
0: I asked Fred Crager if there was any reason to believe leading up to September the 9th, 1991, that something like a fire of this kind could happen.
2: The only thing you got people have to understand is that this machine has 10,000 gallon of hydraulic oil that we carried on the machine because it's set on hydraulic jacks that kept it level. So when I come to work there was a warning light that would flash periodically off and on and because we evidently had a leak someplace but it was nothing serious you know it, we've seen that before. It's like a low-tire gauge on your automobile that says you got a low tire. And that's what we took it for granted, that we got an oil, a little oil in some place. If it would have stayed on and flashed, we'd have shut down. But it wouldn't. it just come on for a minute, and then it'd go off.
0: And as you were operating, I mean, did was the machine functioning normally, and you just smelled smoke?
2: No, I could see the smoke coming. And when I saw the smoke coming out, I shut it down because it was coming between the decks.
0: Once again, the operator of the Marion sixty-three sixty that day, Gene Miller.
2: I was the operator. I ran until, like, say,
1: lunchtime. and Then Fred started running. That's when it all started. So I went up and called on the on the mine radio and said, "We got a fire on the shovel. We need you know you need to call fire departments and get them out here." So Captain had a small fire truck on property at all times, that they owned. So they they brought it down, and we fought the fire with it for a while, and then, you know, of course it run out of juice, and then we just had to wait on the, on the local fire departments to come there.
2: I was also a fireman on the steel, steel fire department, and I remember explicitly, I can remember, I rode out to the mine on the back of that fire truck,
0: That is the voice of Dale Rice. Dale Rice was a longtime union miner and also, for a period of years, worked in Arch Minerals' management team. When you got to the fire, was the shovel fully engulfed in flames? No, not fully.
2: When I got down there, the fire was still contained to the lower frame area, but all the connections that go between the lower frame and the upper frame, the Just by nature of the job, full of grease, and the fire when I got there was still below that. But then when that that grease on the on the lower frame when that grease got fire, then all
0: hell broke loose. And as all hell was breaking loose from Dale Rice's perspective, there was a life or death drama playing out on the inside of the machine. Once again, Gene Miller. Well, we
1: searched for the fire for a while until we figured out where it was at. And then we went down and started fighting the fire with, you know, 20-pound fire
2: extinguishers.
0: Fred Krager began to fight the blaze.
2: I was the first going into the fire. I had to go through four rooms, and I had a 50-pound fire extinguisher I grabbed from downstairs. But in my haste, I failed to look at the extinguisher. Well, it was out of pressure. So I carried it through the four rooms, and uh, got there, nothing, whenever I squeezed the trigger because it didn't have any pressure. So I had to go back to the four rooms and got another fire extinguisher, and I uh, put the fire out. There wouldn't be any flame at all, and i think, we're gonna make this. And then, just the more than I run out of fire extinguisher, it'd go just like light a gas stove. <laughs> and then we'd have fire. So I'd done that two or three times, and then it got so hot that I couldn't go in there anymore.
0: Once again, Gene Miller.
2: And Gary
1: was going up and down in the elevator bringing fire extinguishers down to us because the fire was, you know, was so hot that we could get it put out, you know, the handheld extinguishers, but, but then all of a
2: sudden it, just, it was so hot that it just came right back.
0: Gary Andrews was a welder on the 6360 on the night of September the 9th, 1991.
2: When I got aboard on the expanded mill, they said, go get some fire extinguishers. So I jumped in the elevator and went up to the house. And we had, we had some fire extinguishers right where you get off uh, from the elevator. And I gathered, I don't know, three or four of those. And I uh, got downstairs, and they said, get some more, get some more. So back up to the house I went, and uh, I went to the back of the machine, back of the hoist drum, and there were some more to around there. And I kind of walked around through the house and I got them and put them in the elevator and went downstairs. They said, get some more, get some more. And so the third time I went up, it was all smoky and dark, acrid smoke that just hurt your lungs to breathe it. And I thought, oh, no. I thought, you can't go back down through that to the lower frame. You might get stuck in that chute, and you'd you'd be asphyxiated. So uh, just a split-second decision, I decided to go up where there was better air because I was gasping for breath just when I got up to the house.
0: Once again, Gene Miller.
2: And then, you know, he happened
1: to go up at the right time or wrong time, whichever way you want to look at it, I guess the wrong time, and that's when he got trapped upstairs. Of course, Gary didn't have any idea what was going on, but he was above the fire. All he knew there was a fire blowing. So he figured the best thing he could do was go, you know, get as high
0: as what he could go. Fred Crager.
2: Well, I was not trapped. I was, I was down on the coal getting in the clear, and I didn't even realize that Gary wasn't with us till we got down on the cold. By then, there was more people coming and fire equipment. And one of the crew members said, hey, Fred, Gary's trapped upstairs.
0: Gary Andrews.
2: They said, there's a man on the roof. And it was me, and they they tried to get a, a picker off of uh and, and get up on the roof, And, and but the roof, was, I was walking on the roof a little, just a little bit. It was very, very hot. You cannot believe how hot this fire was.
0: Once again, Fred Krager.
2: And Gary said, Fred, it's really getting hot up here. I'm going to need help. So I climbed up the high wall to the 6th cold, and there I could make contact with, with Gary.
0: Gary Andrews.
2: Then I heard a voice, and it was Fred Krager. He had... He, he got on the picker and then
0: got off and walked up the boom and then came walked the pennant lines. Once again, Fred Krager.
2: And Gary was having nervous questions. He had all kinds of suggestions, and none of them in my mind would come out okay. He talked about maybe jumping or maybe trying to slide down a handle or something, and I said, Gary, that ain't going to work. That's when I knew that I had to do something. He said... Fred, you got to get me down. And I said, I will, Gary. So in the meantime, a company official got up there and said, Fred, don't worry that we got a helicopter coming and he'll pick him up. And Gary reminded me again, he said, I want off of here now. And I said, I'll be up there. So when I got into the cherry picker basket and swung around to the boom, Uh, the company people advised me, uh, not to do that pretty strongly advised me. So I went to the boom and then the support cables, that's the cables that run from the boom to the gantry. That's where I went down to get Gary. And I told Gary, get you a safety belt, Gary, I'm coming. But what I really wanted to do was just spend time up there with Gary. And I thought, well, I'll get a free helicopter ride out of this.
0: It's worth noting at this point in the story that the trip Fred Krager made Walking on pennant lines was akin to a high wire act. The pennant lines on the 6360 were approximately five inches in diameter, one that you could place your feet on, and two that you could use for balance. Once again, Gene Miller. How many feet up in the air would they have been doing that? Oh, the top of the
1: point was probably, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to say it was probably 200 feet. I don't. Off, You know, it's been a long ago, and I don't remember the, the specifics of that machine, but I'm going to say it was somewhere between 150 and 200 feet. because so the top of the, the, the cab where I sat, or the operator sat when you was running, was like 40 feet off the ground, and the boom point's way higher than
2: that. But anyway, before I started on them down them cables, well, I said... Oh, Lord, I'm going to need your help. So don't leave me now. So down at Cables, I went and I got to Gary and I said, Gary, we'll just let's just sit here and wait. The helicopter will come and we'll get off of here. And Gary said, no, Fred. He said, I can't stand it up here. And I said, no, we'll be all right, Gary. And I said, Gary said, I, I I want down Fred. And I said, all right, I'll get you down. I put the safety belt on him and we started down the cables and he'd been on vacation. That was his first day back. And we got started and there were wood blocks on them cables And we had to go around, and we got to about the second wood block, and Gary said, now it's dark already, and there's lights all over the pit, flashing lights. You know how things go when there's a fire. All kind of excitement going on. And Gary says, Fred, I can't make it. I said, hold it, Gary. I said, don't look down. Just look up at the skies or whatever. We're going to be all right. I got him around that block, and said, come on, Gary, let's go some more. And we got to the next one, he said, Fred, I'm done. I can't make it. And I said, Gary, think about it. I said, if you don't make it, they're going to fire my, you know what? And he he giggled a little bit about it. Then (laughs) he relaxed. So we got on down the line, and he said, I'm done. And I said, No, Gary, look how close we are to the end, so we can get to the boom. So that's how he came down. I didn't really, I didn't want to. I couldn't leave him up there.
0: Gary Andrews
2: and it's pretty steep, and we just, uh, he, he was ahead of me, and we, I just followed him, and we uh, got up there, and we got up to uh, the boom where we could climb off those pant lines, and uh, walked down the boom, and uh, got in the basket, and they lowered us onto uh, uh, number six coal uh, on the wheel level, and uh got to safety never thought too much about it really it was just uh, uh situation happened uh i probably shouldn't have gone uh, all the way through the gantry but i was seeking clean air and my eyes were watering what have you and i was afraid they were gonna shut the power off so i didn't want to get stuck down there de-affixiated, so our crew, we stayed till about 2 or 3 in the morning fighting the fire and we were just exhausted uh, emotionally and physically
0: Once the fire was put down, the questions began to rise. What would the future of the 6360 be? What were the futures of the thousands of union jobs at Captain Mine? Gene Miller.
1: I figured I was, I was, I, I, I I was going to lose my job. I was like the last man on seniority. Then it got to the point where the only reason that I was employed was because I was a shovel operator.
0: Joe Stevens.
2: I got a call from a man in or around midnight, and he told me it was on fire. And I said, how bad? And he said, what I gather, it's hopeless. And I thought, oh boy, I thought, well, quite frankly, I just rolled over and thought, well, there goes this
0: job, you know.